Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, again, good Wednesday morning. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Uh, Just a reminder, this month here at Faith Radio, we're focusing on forgiveness. Maybe it's uh, stuff that happened in your family, some wounds between you and your parents, or something that happened at church. (laughs) We've heard the phrase, church hurts uh, a lot lately, and you're working through that. And there's so many others, relationship issues, you name it. The list is long. The pain is real, but the promise of forgiveness and what it does in your life. We talked about that yesterday um, here on Faith Radio briefly when we were, we were talking about the, uh, what was it, the state of the Bible. John, John Plake from the, the American Bible Society, they're looking at human flourishing and how the Bible plays into that in their latest uh, state of the Bible uh, research. And he was talking about how forgiveness really is so important to our flourishing. And that's why we're doing things like Forgiveness Month. Now, if this is an area that you're struggling or you know somebody else is, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Lots of great podcasts, articles, videos, stuff there to help you find healing and peace or help you help someone else do just that. So again, you can find that at MyFaithRadio.com. The purpose of Mornings with Carmen is help you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And that means we got to pray the news. We do. And as we look at the news, just heard about it a little while ago, former President Donald Trump appearing yesterday in a Miami federal courthouse, uh, pleading not guilty to 37 federal criminal charges related to classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago estate last year. The arraignment comes after Trump, currently also a Republican presidential candidate, was indicted by a grand jury last week. Before appearing in court, he was booked by Deputy U.S. Marshals along with his personal aide, Walt Nauda, who was named a co-conspirator in the indictments, and he also faces six felony counts. The Justice Department also investigating the handling of classified documents by President Joe Biden, and last week cleared former Vice President Mike Pence of a similar probe. Now, again, regardless of where you are in your opinion about these things politically, I do hope you are praying for the process and also praying for our nation. Jeremiah told us that we as the people, well, he told the people of Judah who were in exile in Babylon to concern themselves with the welfare of the land they were exiled in. Now, as Christians, yes, we're citizens of the country we live in here on earth, but we're also more importantly, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we're currently, in that sense, until God's kingdom fully comes, we're currently exiles. So we're to work and to pray for the welfare of the nation we're in and for the ultimate good of its citizens. Also in the news, the Southern Baptist Convention, they're in meetings right now down in New Orleans, uh, having their their big gathering. And they yesterday re-elected the Reverend Bart uh, Barber, as who is a pastor in Texas, as their president. 
As he continues that office into a second year, the Religion News Service reports that it was the first time in a decade that a sitting president had been challenged, but Barber won a 68% vote over his opponent, Mike Stone. Again, there's a lot that the Southern Baptists are wrestling through right now um, as they meet, a lot of decisions to be made, so pray for them. Pray that God's Spirit moves them and that they stay on a solid biblical direction. Also, this is just more of just a bit of fun news. Karen, I think I'm pronouncing it, Karen Quasi. He's still a couple of years away from being legally able to drive, but he also, he's getting his college degree and he'll be starting a job next month with SpaceX. Now, other than that, the 14-year-old insists he's had a fairly normal academic journey. (laughs) Yeah, right. Quasi's story has gone viral after a California media outlet reported on him preparing to graduate from Santa Clara University this Saturday. The Bay Area native not only becomes the youngest graduate in that school's 172-year history, but also he joins a short list of people who have graduated college uh, in their childhoods. Now, he landed a Job with Starlink, the satellite division of Elon Musk's spaceflight company uh, SpaceX. So he uh, he's he he actually coveted the position because it would let him be part of something bigger than himself. He starts there in July. His family, his mom and him, are going to be moving up uh, close up to uh, Washington State so they can be closer to work. I hope he's in walking distance or at least on a good bus line because he can't drive yet. Can't drive yet. Well. How's the air where you are? When I drove in this morning, um, there was I was still dark. There was a bit of a sliver of a moon, but it was orangish because of the smoke in the upper atmosphere from the Canadian wildfires. Now, I live in the Twin Cities, so yeah, it's even kind of hazy right now. Last week, air quality in places like New York were the worst on record. What's the science behind this? Uh, we got to talk to our science expert, Heather Zeiger. She joins us next here on Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in. If you're here in the Twin Cities or parts of Minnesota, maybe it's a bit hazy in the sky right now. We are under at least parts of Minnesota, including the Twin Cities, under air quality alerts. I did check the weather over in Vermont, which is where Carmen is right now with her sister on vacation. And uh, the air is much fresher there than it was a week ago. I mean, they don't have any air quality alerts at all. It looks like uh, clear skies for them. Last week, though, again, the Northeast hit really hard, and especially New York. That had air quality indexes, an index in excess of 400 on a 500 scale, so wow. To talk about that and some of the science behind it is Heather Zeiger. She's a, uh, you're the editor, right, for uh, Bioethics. You're with the uh, Center for uh, uh, Bioethics, and, oh, I forgot the, the... in human dignity. There we go. I couldn't remember the full name, Heather. This is bad of me. It's all right, Paul. That's all right. <laughs> well, let's go to Canada because that's a lot of smoke being belched out by those forest fires up in Canada right now. What's What's been the cause people have been talking about? Oh, it's this that's causing, it's that. That's From your best understanding scientifically, what's been happening that's making this matter so bad? 
Sure, yeah. So at this point, um, about 10 million acres have burned. And, you know, a lot of the headlines will say, oh, well, is this climate change? And I think President Trudeau mentioned climate change. But, uh, and I, I talked to one of my friends who's a journalist in Canada and has lived in Western Canada for a while. And I looked up some, some of these things about Western Canada and a lot of the issues that apply to California wildfires, they have some of the same issues in Western Canada where actually fire is it fire is actually a natural and common part of the ecosystem there. So we have to keep in mind that it's actually not bad to have little fires in in the forested area. Now, where do we get these huge wildfires? Well, uh, climate change may be a thing, but let's keep in mind when we're looking at the headlines. And when we talk about climate change, that's a pattern over a long period of time. You can't necessarily say that one individual fire or even the uh, particular wildfire season is directly the result of climate change. Although with heating, if there is a uh, progressive heating, that means that things are going to be hotter. That may mean things are drier. So keep in mind with these wildfires, you have short-term weather events. You have also the issue is the type of forest. So different types of forests are going to burn more than others. You also have issues that include poor forest management. And this has been an issue in Canada for quite some time in that people have, uh, they have criticized the fact that the indigenous populations in Canada used to do controlled burns. So you need this with forest to burn out the dead underbrush. What this does is it actually preserves the trees. It gets rid of the dead underbrush. So that's a type of controlled burn that uh, has a long history of practice. And in the last 20 years or so, that has been... uh, that they have taken, they have stopped doing controlled burns. And, you know, some of it was well-intentioned. I remember as a kid, you learn about how only you can prevent forest fires and how only forest you, fires are all yes. bad. Yeah. And so now, and it's true, like a lot of these wildfires, uh, you, so you have all of this brush here that is dead brush building up in the bottom of the forest. And let's remember our fire triangle, Paul, like there's the ignition, you have to have something mm-hmm. to ignite it. You have to have a fuel and you have to have an oxidant. All right. Well, when you're out in out in the world, oxygen is your oxidant. The air is your oxidant. Your fuel is that dead brush. You still have to have something that sparks it. Well, more often than not, in the summer, lightning strikes will mm. spark. Yeah. So more than half of these are are started by lightning strikes, and that was certainly the case in June uh, June first for quite a few of these fires. Uh, the other half are sparked by human activity, and that isn't just um, you know some people think intentional. Actually, a lot of it is from encroaching urbanization. So just like construction and yeah. accidental sparking and things like that, uh, and then you have this pile of underbrush. So there's a complexity of factors. So when you see the headlines and you see oh climate change caused this or that or the other, keep in mind this is a complex situation. And and on the plus side, there has been trends in starting back again to do some of these controlled burns to get rid of the dead underbrush and preserve the forest so we don't have these wildfires or like what you saw in California several years ago with these fire plumes that occur Mm -hmm. because there's too much dead underbrush. Yeah. Okay, let's quickly switch and just talk briefly about air quality issues because like I said, 
last week, the Northeast, which had a huge amount of that smoke just blowing over them, the air, the airflow, the, air, the jet stream was pushing it right on them. New York having an air quality index of over 400, which is very, very, very dangerous. Uh, I was listening to some podcasts from some people living there, and it, they were, it was a struggle for, for a few days where even schools had to close because it was just they couldn't handle it very well. Of course, it's okay. The smoke is one thing, but when you get the urban effect and the heat build up, that adds another aspect to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so here in Texas, where I live, we will have air quality alert days in the the kind of hottest parts of summer. So, you know, July, August. And it's because the heat kind of, you have particulate matter, you have the pollution, you have just the hot weather. And this makes it harder to breathe. This is particularly dangerous for people who are sensitive, like who have asthma, or for the elderly, uh, or uh, those that have respiratory issues. So the heat compounds what is already a problem. Particulate matter in the air is a problem from these fires. Um, that can affect everyone. But then also the fact that it's summer can, can make things harder on uh, on everyone, but particularly sensitive people. Yeah, you can also get chemical reactions um, in the air between, you know, the, sm- the smog from the vehicles um, and other stuff generating any exhaust. And then I, I, I remember this because, you know, growing up, um, I remember seeing pictures of L.A., which they have very strict standards for auto emissions and California have for a long time for the very reason of smog issues. And was that factored in or factoring into what was happening in New York or was that a minor issue? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure because you're right. There are smog issues and that's uh, you're dealing with like nitrogen type compounds. And of course, in the summer, well, you, you learn this in chemistry. You add heat to any reaction, it's gonna, it's usually going to go faster, right? So um, I don't know if that's an issue in New York only because uh, since like when I was younger and we used to, we used to, you know, look at LA, like you said, as uh, this kind of example of smog. Since then, there's been a lot of efforts to... Uh, to have some uh, emissions regulations. So I'm not sure if that was the case in New York. Um, Certainly, though, you're right that when it's hot and you have these chemical reactions that occur, these nitrogen compounds, um, you you are going to have some smog issues. All right. Well, again, we're talking with Heather Zeiger, a science writer who uh, joins us every couple of weeks here on Faith Radio. When we continue, all right, we're going to get into some issues of medicine, in particular transgender medicine as it concerns youth, because there's been a lot, this during Pride Month, there's been a lot to talk about how we need to support these youth. But some countries are backing away from the so-called affirmative model of medical treatment and interventions for youth because of science. So that continues in just a moment, as we do here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. 
Well, thanks for spending your Wednesday morning with us here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings uh, Without Carmen. I'm Paul filling in over the weekend in the White House. The president hosted an LGBTQ pride celebration. In some of his statements, he talked about so-called protections for trans or rather gender dysphoric youth who want to seek medical transition. Even, after, even against their parents' will sometimes. And while parts of the U.S. seem to be going full steam ahead, other, other states are putting in restrictions regarding youth medicine. Also, other countries overseas are putting on the brakes for some of, the, uh, some of these uh, interventions aimed at youth. Why is that? We want to talk some science about that. Again, we have Heather Zeiger uh, joining us. And Heather, let's look at this because countries in Europe mainly – that for a long time have been very much engaged in the youth transgender medicine interventions are now saying, whoa, we've got to rethink this. Yeah, so this is very interesting. UK, Norway, Sweden, and Finland, all of them have said that their uh, public health services are no longer going to fund puberty-blocking drugs for children So at, at gender identity clinics. So uh, you, you can be in a clinical trial, but a lot of times those uh, you have to qualify for trials, and there's a lot of restrictions to that. But they, uh, they have a larger publicly funded health care service in all of those countries, and they will not be funded funding puberty blockers. And the reason they said so is because more evidence is needed to look at the risks and benefits. Um, and, and that, of course, from a bioethics standpoint, that's an informed consent issue. Also, um, what they have seen, uh, just from what little bit of research has been, they have been able to do is that after puberty, many of the kids who were gender dysphoric before or during puberty, once they go through puberty, they become more comfortable with their bodies. Um, there's also a question, and I saw one article about this, and I was surprised that they uh, said this because a lot of times you're not really allowed to say, but there is this question of, particularly among young women, is post-puberty uh, gender dysphoria uh, and wanting to transition, is that a kind of social contagion as though there's, um, you know, and, and that's not to downplay it, but that there is some sort of stressor and this is one way that uh, that these young adults are trying to deal with these anxieties and stresses. So anyway, uh, very interesting because all four of these countries have been um, – pro-trans and relatively friendly towards this, uh, towards uh, transgender uh, medical services, if you will. Um, and But they have said, well, we're not so sure about the puberty blockers. They want to they wanna see uh, some more studies done and some more evidence to show the benefits outweigh the risks. They've had more cases over there where there's mm-hmm. people who've gone through um, I'm thinking like Kira Bell in England who who went through the puberty transition and now she's detransitioned, but she's she's been very vocal. And they've had a lot of people over in countries like like the UK yeah. who've been very vocal who said, You guys didn't help me. Yeah. The, this the medical intervention, you just pushed me through, you didn't help me. Yeah, Paul, and you know what? I've I've worked with teens for over 10 years and particularly with young women. And I think we need to understand that, you know, at puberty is uh it's so difficult for uh, for young people to go through. And so to and just such a it's such a fast change in all the hormones and stuff. So instead of turning right away to um to puberty blockers, maybe better support and better help for 
these young people that are like really struggling with puberty and really struggling with who they are and really struggling with their bodies. Maybe that would be a better place to go. Um, and I think that a lot of these countries are kind of looking at that and saying, you know, let's let's take a look at the evidence and see is is uh, gender affirming care puberty blockers really the first thing we need to do when someone is feeling these uh, having these experiences. And Paul, as always, I always like to point out. Um, we also need to keep in mind that uh, people who are on the autism spectrum, uh, the percentage of yeah. people that identify as trans, young uh, teenagers that identify as trans, uh, a larger percentage of them are on the autism spectrum than in the regular population. And I think we need to consider that and consider, are, are we addressing some of the issues that people on the spectrum are dealing with and some of the questions and some of the difficulties of going through puberty as someone on the spectrum? Mm. That is a good point. We'll have to keep an eye on that and pray about it. Okay, I want to take one more minute because I want you to address this this AI-generated sermon that happened, uh, was it this past, uh, about a week or so ago in Germany. And it wasn't just a generated script that a pastor read. It was an AI sermon. Yeah, so, uh, and this was during a church congress, so this was kind of an experiment, but it was at St. Paul's Church in Firth, uh, Germany, and um, this uh, theology uh, theology professor, I believe, uh, wanted to see if he can use chat GPT and basically, I believe, like a screen with an avatar yes. that gave a sermon. And he, he put in the prompt. He's like, okay, this is for a church congress. I want you to include psalms. Let's have some prayers. Oh, and hey, let's have a blessing at the end. Kind of like a recipe or something. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, according, uh, according to reports, it was a serviceable um, sermon. Uh, however, a lot of people said, you know, but there was not a lot of heart and soul. There was not a lot of emotion in it. <laughs> um, and, you know, that he couldn't, uh, I, uh, the avatar couldn't respond to the laughter. And I, I just sit here and think, you know, this is a similar problem we see when we try to have physicians, uh, you know, use chat GPT to, to uh, mimic physicians or counselors. The role of a pastor is not just to disseminate information, but to like um, discern the needs of their particular flock, just as a doctor needs to deal with a particular patient. Um, and ChatGPT can't do that. So I think it's an interesting experiment, but I think it went kind of as you expected, like good sermon in content, not so much in heart and soul. And then, of course, Paul, we can always test if it's a ChatGPT sermon, uh, if it's a, a bot talking to you, because bots just don't have a good sense of humor. No. They don't know how to do puns. No, they don't. They don't. Hey, hey careful. We're getting into dad joke season here. So, anyway, Heather, thank you again. Uh, connect with Heather at heatherzeiger.com. Also, she's part of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, uh, which is cbhd.org. Thanks again, Heather, for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Sure, Paul. Good to be here. Okay, question for you. Oh, by the way, I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. What is the chief end of a man? No, 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 no. I, I'm not asking the question, what's the chief end of man, if you know your Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. No, I'm talking about what is the chief end of a man, the male part of the human species? What is what is our chief end? Maybe we, you've been informed more by, you know, the rugged Marlboro Man or, you know, the 
soldier, which are, okay, men have to be that sometimes. But what's the chief end? Why did God make a man, a male, a male? What was the chief end? We're going to talk about that with Zach Wagner. I talked. With, well, I had an opportunity to talk with him filling in for Carmen back in April, and he's got a book out that um, is entitled The Non-Toxic Man. Is that right? I, I think that's right. Hold on. I've got to get to back to my notes. That's bad. Yeah, Non-Toxic Masculinity. And he has a chapter in there talking about that chief end. We're going to focus on that because, and hint, yeah, it is a Father's Day talk, but we'll get to that in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, man up, will ya? <laughs> I'm Paul, an uplifting, uh, on Faith Radio, that is. And, you know, often you hear that phrase, man up. You know, when us guys say that to each other, we're trying to encourage each other to be bold, to be brave. Okay, often we can use it as kind of daring somebody to do something stupid or (laughs) dangerous, but hopefully you don't use it that way. Hopefully you are encouraging it to encourage a guy to be responsible, to do the right thing, even if it's hard. Like being a father. Joining me now is Zach Wagner. I had Zach on a few months ago to uh, join me when I filled in for Carmen here on Faith Radio, talking about a book called Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering a Healthy Male Sexuality. With Father's Day coming up, I thought, we got to talk to Zach again. So, Zach, welcome back. Yeah, delighted to be with you again. Thanks so much for the repeat in- invitation. That's uh, that's at least a, a thumbs up, I feel like, to the last time we talked. Well, so, no, it was a thumbs up. You. It was a thumbs up because you got us thinking about some important things. Now, for those who missed that conversation, now the full podcast is up at MyFaithRadio.com. But for those who missed and just want a quick summary, Zach, tell us about the book, Non-Toxic Masculinity. What prompted you to write it? Sure, yeah. A couple of things. Just my personal story, number one, having grown up in the church, and I feel like the ways that I was discipled around what it means to be a man, and particularly my sexuality and sex and marriage and things like that, I found as I grew into adulthood, there was some good stuff there, but a lot of the messages that weren't entirely helpful. Um, And so that's kind of the first side of it. The other side is what I see as really this crisis in the culture broadly, but also in the church uh, around masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? Uh, And then uh, tragically, often men acting out in abusive and violent ways against women as it relates to sexuality. So I wanted to connect some dots and uh, hopefully also cast a new, uh, better vision for what male sexuality can be. Yeah, and I appreciate a lot of what you wrote in there. And as we approach Father's Day this Sunday, I went back to your book and saw that, oh, wait a minute, you you even talk about that. And so that's what I wanted us to dig into over the next few minutes. By the way, I do have copies of the book. Uh, again, it's called Non-Masculinity, uh, Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. If you'd like to win a copy... Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You have a really good chapter that got me thinking uh, that we should talk about fatherhood and fathering because you call it the chief end of male sexuality. Now, in the context of your overall book, explain that. Yeah, I think so often in kind of 
recent decades in the church, when we're talking about sex in particular, so often it's about the kind of do's and don'ts around sex. What is the biblical vision for sexuality? And we're putting it into conversation with the culture's vision and sexual fulfillment and what's the way to have your best sex life or what's the way to have your best sex life on God's terms. And I think for men in particular, um, the calling of fatherhood is just completely left out of the conversation. It's all about men kind of holding off until marriage, until they have sex or not watching porn or any number, you know, not uh, lusting after women or whatever the case may be. Those are important conversations to have, of course. But what I wanted to do with this book, and I really kind of end here, like this chapter comes very late in the book, because I think at the end of the day, this is the whole point. God created our sexuality for something. And for men, I believe our sexuality points towards fatherhood. So if we're having a conversation about what it means to be a healthy, godly man in our sexuality, I think it needs to include a conversation on fatherhood. And it, it, ultimately, I argue it needs to end there. That's what the goal, the telos of this sexual part of ourselves that God created is. And to me, by the way, again, we're talking with, uh, with Zach Wagner, and he's the author of the book, Non-Toxic Masculinity. I think that is the key. Oftentimes, we we separate out. Um, we, mm-hmm. we get so focused on the sex aspect, we forget, as you just said, the purpose, the telos, the what, what's, why are, why did God give us this gift? And mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of guys, they're kind of going... You know, it doesn't feel like a gift sometimes when sure. they're living kind of frustrated, but it is because it's not just about mm. us. It's about something bigger. And that's what I love that you brought out. And you you actually go through in this chapter in the book, looking at sexuality through the lens of fatherhood and what it can teach us about the complexity and beauty of masculinity. You make six points, and I want to go through them with you um, sure. because each of them is – I hope we can get through them all – in before we're done here but first off yeah. male sexuality you said is relational mm. flesh that out for us yeah i think it just show it, well one it is based on this insight that was shared with me a number of years ago that our sexuality is not just about sex you know it's not just my sexuality is only relevant when you know I'm engaging intimately with my with my partner in marriage. It's actually something that's woven into the entire fabric of what it means to be human. So, yes, are my sexuality signals that I can connect relationally with another person in marriage, but it also is a way of differentiating me from my sisters or signaling that I'm similar to my brothers or connecting me in to to my parents or cousins or any number of other people. So there is this relational aspect that's woven into sexuality that includes friendships, it seems to me, where there, you know, I relate differently to another man than I do to a woman. And I think that is something so beautiful and mysterious about sexuality is it creates and signals in our humanity. It creates this space for differentiation and relationship. Okay. And then you go on from there. Cause like I said, I want to get through all these, uh, in the mm-hmm. next minute or so, the next one you said, male sexuality is cooperative. Again, this yeah, kind of, this, this kind of goes off the relational, but it goes deeper. Yeah. This I think is so key. And it is the fact that 
male sexuality is, exists in this duality with female sexuality. So when God in Genesis takes the human being, Ha-Adam, and he splits them into male and female, it shows us that men, when we think about our sexuality, should realize that our calling in the world is something we do with and in cooperation with women. And that can include in one-on-one -on -one relationships. But I think it includes every human activity and every endeavor is meant to be this beautiful cooperation between the male side of humanity and the female side of humanity. Well, as we continue our conversation here with Zach, um, we're going to talk more about father because so far we're just talking the the sexual relation. Well, not really. We haven't been, but we've been talking mainly the male-female aspect but where does it go from there? Again, that tell us. We're going to start moving into that direction here in just a moment as we look at fatherhood. Again, Zach's book, Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. We do have copies to give away. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. More with Zach in a moment here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Looking at fatherhood just a few days ahead of Father's Day, and how does the Bible guide our fatherhood and help us Rise to the occasion of its goal, its its chief end, I guess is the question. That's what we're talking to Zach Wagner about, again, author of the book Non-Toxic Masculinity. Before we get back to the conversation, Zach, though, i got to ask, are you a dad joke guy? I do, from time to time, dabble in a dad joke. I don't know if I have, like, a, a, a Rolodex of dad jokes ready to go, but I, I can appreciate them for I, sure. Do you have one off the top of your head that uh, maybe I, told I, you? I, go ahead. I I. I no, man, I'm freezing. Of course, I do with my six-year-old especially. And they're usually just kind of punny things where you just play on the, the the realization that she doesn't understand that this word can sometimes mean this and stuff like that. It's just fun. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's just, you know, you can just say it's how I roll. But um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to the conversation about male sexuality, fatherhood. We've been looking at some of the points you make in your book, which are really good, about, you know, the calling of male sexuality, its purpose. It's the, boy, it's just these different aspects. Now, we talked about relational. Part of being male is to be relational. Relational. That's how God created us, as well as cooperative. But then, life-giving. And I, mm. I go back to the creation here, Zach, because God's whole purpose was to create, to bring life. And you hear about how Jesus is described as you know, in him was life. The whole idea of bringing forth life and bringing forth goodness, working forward, that was the whole goal that the fall kind of short-circuited to some degree. But yes. that's still the goal of us as humans, especially us as fathers. So I want you to flesh this out again, this life-giving. 
Yeah, I think, well, there is the kind of most basic sense where obviously male sexuality has this capacity in partnership with a woman to create new life. And if you think of that as the telos again, or the goal of male sexuality, and that then should filter, it seems to me, all the way down to every way that we live out our maleness, our masculinity, and certainly our sexuality. So I think, are the, you know, are you living out your sexuality, your manhood in a way that creates new life, allows life to flourish, cultivates beauty and life in the world? Or again, I think the brokenness of the fall can sometimes tempt us to indulge in using our, our masculine uh, strength or privilege or whatever you want to call that actually against life. And we become allied with the brokenness and death in the world. And I think that is the fracturing that has happened, but that's not what the original intent was. And I think the calling of fatherhood of course can be narrowed into like, you know, my wife and I got pregnant and had a baby, but it's so much broader than that. And I think masculinity should be thought of as this life-giving force in the world, certainly in the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm, because of time, we're going to have to crunch the next two together. But mm. you talk about how male sexuality both implies responsibility and is nurturing. They go together well, so I thought, let's yeah, pair these yeah. two, because, again, it's not just about giving biological life existence, but to f- to foster, to feed that life, to help it grow. Yes. Yeah, and I think this, again, goes back to this whole chapter is, based on those verses in Genesis, where God calls the man and the woman together to cultivate the garden and to keep it. And that is the our calling with creation. So yes, we create new life, we get married, we have children sometimes, but not all men do that. But that doesn't True. mean not that doesn't mean that not all men are called to this kind of fatherly vocation in the world. There is a responsibility that God has given us, yes, again, to our children, but also to all of creation, all of the relationships that we're in, where we're meant to nurture and care for and cultivate and create something beautiful out of this world that God has given us as a gift to watch over and make more out of, be little creators under the kind of big C creator of God. Okay, and then we look at self-sacrificial, and we Mm. see this most poignantly in Christ. But what does that call for us? If our our male sexuality is self-sacrificial, what does that mean? Well, man, if you have kids, I think, I hope, you just get how this how this goes. You know, you kind of get married and you have your nice little marriage thing. And if it's just you two and then you have kids and you're like, man, there's this is a lot of work taking care of these uh, tiny humans that we've brought into the world. But that's, I think, the beauty of it in terms of the sacrifice of time and energy that it takes to bring that life into the world and to cultivate that life as we were just talking about. And I think for men especially, because of, again, the kind of differences, generally speaking, between men and women, where men are physically larger and stronger, it's especially incumbent on men, I think, to imitate Christ and sacrifice and even give themselves up for the good of others. Mm. Again, we're talking with Zach Wagner, author of Toxic Masculinity, and 
or non-toxic masculinity. Pardon me. I keep getting that wrong. I know we don't want to- We want the non-toxic. We want the healthy stuff. And I, I found a lot of a lot of wisdom in your book. And it, I do have a few copies to give away. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 because you go through a large swath again, pointing to our telos, the, the end goal. What's the end game of why did God create men to be men, how we're supposed to use our sexuality for good, for life-giving, for nurturing. Now, this brings us to the question, and you kind of talked about it already, Zach. Not every man will or can be a father, biologically, but they can father. They can express that, you know, be relational, be cooperative, life-giving, responsible, nurturing, and self-sacrificial. Earlier this morning, we talked with Eric Swithin, with a ministry uh, that that's called the Alliance for Ending Ending the Fatherless Epidemic, and mm-hmm. they talk a lot about mentoring as a way of helping yes. father the fatherless. Now, yes. from your perspective, I want you to add this because the way you explained it in your book, it's like our fathering. Yes, it has to do with children, but it goes far beyond that, especially our own children, but just far beyond what how we engage our world. Yeah, and I think that example that you gave of mentoring is a wonderful one in the sense that that I would argue is participating in the the fatherly calling of men in the world. And Jesus, let's go back to Jesus or even to the Apostle Paul, both of these men were single and celibate. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we would say they were less manly because of that, or they didn't participate in the calling of fatherhood in any way. In fact, they, I think, it both embody a, you might say, a paternal orientation towards the world and towards relationships and towards people. And that, again, is a way of broadening this category of what fatherhood can be without diminishing, of course, the literal fatherhood that is so important and we want to celebrate in a week like this but that does not mean that men should only view that literal fatherhood as the only way to live out that calling in the world or the only way to live into the true ultimate purpose of their masculinity so it can include your work it can include gardening it can include cooking or building uh you know for uh, some sort of house project or repairing things. All of these, I think, are ways of participating in that call to be a father to the people that you're in relationship with, but also to the world that God has given us. It really is a mindset then. It really is a heart set Mm. mindset thing because you're working toward that glorifying end of creating and building on life. Yes. Okay. Hey, Zach, thank you so much for joining us again. His book is Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. Yes, I have a few copies that we're giving away, so text the word book to 877-933-2484. Zach, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio. Yeah, my pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me back. All right. You've been holding on to that Atari 2600 all these years, waiting for a new game to come out. 
<laughs> I'm Paul, filling it for Carmen here on Faith Radio on Mornings with Carmen. Well, if you're one of those who still have an Atari 2600, your patience has finally paid off. On July 31st, you can plop down your $60 for the game Mr. Run and Jump, the first Atari 2060 game released since 1960. Maybe you're going, oh, I sold my Atari console. Don't worry, the 2D game will be available on PS5 and Switch and such, so you can still get it and play the game. I am not a video Are you a video game person, Ryan? I am not. I have next to nothing to add to this conversation, Next to unfortunately. nothing. <laughs> you, 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 you spend too much time in real sports to worry about... Amen. Electronic sports. Amen. There you go. Yep. There you go. Well, thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'll be back tomorrow. Carmen comes back on Monday. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.